Welcome back to the Vetspace Ireland podcast. I'm Michelle McGuire. And I'm Hazel Mullins. The Vetspace Ireland podcast, our aim is to entertain, inform, engage and inspire. So today we have a very special guest, Amy Cotterbay, who is a veterinary oncologist currently working in UCD. And she is uh, from Rhode Island originally, so from across the pond. Um, and we are very lucky to have her on today's special edition of the Vets Face. Roll it there, uh, Roisin again. Roll it there, Roisin. Okay. Hi, Amy. <laughs> Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for um, coming on the Vets Face Ireland podcast. We're delighted to have you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and excited to share my knowledge on veterinary oncology. Excellent, because we need all the knowledge that we can we can get. <laughs> it's definitely a field I I know very little about personally anyway. Yeah, I don't know about you, so I suppose, Amy, <clears throat> at that space, we just want to know about people's journeys. So would you mind starting off maybe telling us your veterinary journey and why you wanted to be a vet and, and how you got there? Um, absolutely, yeah. So I don't think it was a, not straightforward. I, I always wanted to be a veterinarian, but I don't, you know, knew I wanted to go into science and, you know, I went to undergraduate um, because in the States you need to have a bachelor's degree before you go to vet school. And so I was, you know, kind of explored a couple of options with a, a biology major and um, then decided in my final year of undergraduate that, you know what, I am going to actually pursue this veterinary degree. And at that point, I had realized that I didn't actually have the, quite the grades to get into that school. So I actually went to Auburn University down in Alabama and got my master's in anatomy and histology. And so I was down there for a couple of years. So I lived in Alabama. And, uh, and while I was there, um, I actually was teaching at the veterinary college. I taught anatomy and in histology both. And I applied to vet school. And I ended up uh, getting into the University of Glasgow in Scotland. And wow. yeah, and living overseas was something I always wanted to do. My brother actually went to St. Andrews University. I, gosh, I think he graduated in like the late 80s. So this is a long time ago. Uh, but I visited him uh, once. I took a trip and I remember flying into Glasgow and taking the bus or the train to St. Andrews and spending a week with him. And you know, I never in my life dreamed that I would actually be back, um, you know, about, it was about 15 years later and going to vet school there. So when I was given that opportunity to go to Glasgow at an AVMA approved school, I was, that was it. There was no turning back. Like I didn't even consider going anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So, so that's how I became a veterinarian. Um, and I practiced for a few years. I worked for the corporation Banfield. I worked at, um, I ended up actually getting bored pretty quickly. I found, um, I loved the, the clients, I loved the job, but I knew I wanted to do more medicine. I knew that, uh, you know, just doing deworming and spays and neuters was not where I was meant to be. It just never felt like the perfect fit for me. And so I actually applied for the match program and got an internship in Pennsylvania at a private practice. And while I was there, I did, uh, I worked there, um, they did not, they had a boarded oncologist, but she didn't practice a lot. She was more a surgeon than she was a medical oncologist. She was actually one of the original founding members of ACVIM oncology um, oh. team. There was 22. So, and she was one of them. 
And she just kept telling me all through my internship, you should be an oncologist, you should be an oncologist. And I was just thinking, I'm like, she's crazy. Like, mm. I don't want to deal with cancer. And, and like, it just doesn't sound like a very, like, it sounds like a really depressing kind of job. Yeah. And like, no, no, you got to do it. You got to do it. And I kept like arguing with her and I'd listen to her because I had to. And, um, and then she said, you know what, I'm going to send you to Michigan State. So she actually paid for me to go to Michigan State to spend two weeks there to get oncology experience. And I, um, I came back and, um, and I still was not sold. I enjoyed my two weeks. I got a lot out of it. I remember, I think that's my first like aha moment that oncology is what you should be doing. I was talking about one of the cases that I saw and it was a, a periarticular histiocytic sarcoma in um, a large breed dog. And I remember being listening to the lecture that the resident was giving the students. And I just remember being, that's what my patient has. And I just realized that there was more to do than, you know, just euthanize or surgery, that there was a lot more we could do to manage. But I was, still wasn't 100% convinced. And um, I came back and through the year, um, the rest of my internship, uh, Dr. Nancy Brown kept saying, you know, I really still think like they loved you there. They want you to come. They want you to do a residency. I will support you. I will, she financially supported me and sent me there. And I still said, no. <laughs> and I, at the end of the year, she pulled me aside and she said, Amy, just, you have to do it. You have to do it. And I went home and I really thought about it. And I was like, you know what? I really should do this because it's an opportunity. Somebody is opening up the door for me and I would be crazy not to take it. The worst thing I could do is go there, hate it, not finish the residency and go back to work doing general practice. Yeah. And I went there and I, I, I can't say I fell in love with it immediately, but after being there for a couple of years, I knew that I had made the right decision. Um, so, so yeah, so then I went back to Pennsylvania and practiced for a couple of years before I moved to UCD. Wow. That's <laughs> such a story. It's I'm like, God, I got up this morning and <laughs> <laughs> that's I very impressive. I, wow. Uh, Amy, fair play. I, I think that you have done a serious amount of, um, just your journey education wise and different diversity. <laughs> oh wow like I don't know like I'm doing a certificate at the moment and like a little assignment like is literally freaking me out I don't know how people um you know go back and do res like it's a is it a four-year residency you did or it, yeah so it was actually it was the year of rotating internship and then I did three years of residency um, so I did two years at Michigan State, and then I came back for a year and worked at that private practice. Um, and so it was a three-year program, which you really need because um, during that time, you have to pass your general boards, and then you have to pass your specialty boards, which were absolutely the hardest part of the whole thing. Like the residency itself is, is challenging, but the boards were, that was not something I would ever want to do again. So, yeah. yeah. But you'd but encourage I, anyone to go and do it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No, I mean, I, I have, um, there's an oncology intern at UCD um, that works with me. And it's a year long um, internship. And I absolutely, this is the best job that I, I can have. Um, and I think it's a wonderful job. Everybody I think always thinks about, you know, just the way I had 
that oh, my pet has cancer, there's not much we can do. And I always tell the students, I have this great job because you have the awful job of saying your, your pet has cancer, you know, whether it's, you know, lymphoma, mast cell tumor, they come to me and I give them hope and I get to give them yeah. options and say, and sometimes it's, you know, we, it's a little bit more involved. They need to have surgery. They need to have chemotherapy. Um, but sometimes we do things like manage their pain and their comfort level. And, um, you know, it's, it, there's so much we can do. And every day we are given more and more opportunities to improve the quality of life of our pets. And I really believe that it's about letting them live with cancer and we're letting them live with cancer for longer. Um, and they have a really good quality of life. And that's the one thing when another thing I say to the students when I talk to them, I said, do you feel like when you're on the oncology rotation that any of my, our patients are suffering or that, you know, they have, you know, a poor quality of life? And it, I've never been told no. And I said, and if you do, please tell me, because it means I have to fix something that we have to manage their pain level or um, their appetite or whatever it is. And, um, you know, I get to see these patients every week or every other week. Um, so I get to see them a lot. They grow attached to us. And I love going out into the lobby and seeing them, they'll, they'll see us. And oh my goodness, some of them, we have one patient, Jess, and she is like, she comes in and she squeals as soon as she's in the car, car park. Um, she's so excited to be there. Um, and, and those are the things that like, we try to make it a positive experience for them. You know, if you have to go to the vets, um, you know, hopefully that, you know, they're getting treats and extra attention, maybe a little bit too much, but, um, but we absolutely, we spoil them while they're there. I think it's really interesting that you said there when you were um, first sent or you just said it there as well, even when, that you say to your, your students, you know, that there's so many options, there's so many things we can do, because I think you're right when you say we kind of probably do still have the idea that, oh, the dog has cancer, it's euthanasia or surgery or, or you know, the options are quite limited when, in fact, as you've just said, the opposite is true. And we probably need to remind ourselves that there are so many options if we look for them. Absolutely. And it's, you know, every, um, it's, there's a lot to take into consideration when you're doing treatment options. It's not just, you know, um, we have this cancer and we should treat like this. It's also, you know, what is the best for the pet? Like, do they have other health issues? What's best for the owner? You know, do they live four hours away and have trouble getting here, you know, or can they give medication at home and things like that? And so all of those different factors go into a decision of, what the plan is for that that pet and the clients often come in and always say well you know what is the you know when are we going to have to be here and i'm like you know it, it really it depends on the path that we choose and it also depends on how your pet responds because if they're not doing well then we need to make adjustments whether it's how often they come in or a completely different protocol things like that so i'm like i don't will never give you a plan for the next four months because it's always changing and every pet is different and you know how they handle it and you know just like when we give a vaccine you know a pet could have a vaccine reaction we never know when that's going to be we know some pets are at a little bit higher risk of having a vaccine reaction um, but you can't plan those things and so you have to be willing to adjust and um, you know like I said come up with new ideas and um, sort of uh, you know think outside the box when you're coming up with a treatment plan. And you were saying, like, just when you were saying there about thinking outside the box and, and change, do you feel that things are, are changing within Ireland as well on our kind of attitude towards cancer and in, do in dogs and, and, you know, or cats or whatever, you know, 
with their pets and and do you see that there's progression since you came to UCD? Absolutely. There's been a huge change. When I arrived, um, so I'm the first boarded oncologist in Ireland. Um, and when I arrived at UCD, there were 11 active patients. Uh, per week right now, I would say that we're giving about five or six patients that are on chemotherapy um, per day, Monday through Friday. It's a huge change in numbers just in three and a half years. Uh, I arrived in September 2017. Um, so definitely, I think now that people are becoming aware of it, um, more people are interested in pursuing and having that conversation and seeing if it's the right path for them to go down. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that I think even the veterinarians have changed their opinion on oncology. You know, I know that um, I heard this patient has cancer, you know, there's nothing to do. There's, we're absolutely, we're not going to you know, I wouldn't recommend that you, you do chemotherapy or surgery or what have you, but I'm hearing those vets even change their mind now that they've seen the patients do well and respond well. And then they're getting feedback from the clients that, you know, they, you know, he had a good quality of life. We took him to the beach every day and, you know, there was a couple of down days, but for the most part, you know, it's a really good quality of life. And so, um, absolutely. It's been slow, um, and, but no, there's a huge shift into be, having more interest in it. And I'm very excited to be a part of that. That's really, um, I love my job. Um, and I love my job, even if I wasn't lecturing and teaching, just because I've been able to see how I've helped change that view. Yeah, you can definitely see the passion um, when you speak and you can hear it and, and it's, it's wonderful. And I suppose like, for me, as a large animal vet, I have very little experience with chemo in, in pets. You know, you hear about people on chemo and, and, and things like that. And I suppose, you know, pets can't, you know, talk to us and tell us what they're going through and things like that. But would you say it's quite obvious or, you know, if there's reactions or, you know, that how, how well do they cope with it? Uh, absolutely. That's a, a really good question. And it's one that I get asked often almost every time. And I kind of forget because I do it every day mm. that um, I, you know, I see the patients doing so well that um, I forget sometimes to mention it to clients um, or to vets when they're referring in because um, it's such a everyday thing for me that they, when they, you know, I think in the last year I've had, I get I, probably during a year, I get maybe five or six patients that need to be hospitalized from side effects from chemo. And so it's such a unique thing that happens. It is a potential risk, but it's, it doesn't happen that often. So, um, you know, when we are giving chemotherapy to our pets, because absolutely, just like you said, they don't have a, a voice. They can't participate in this conversation. And so it's really important that we work with the clients and we listen to them and how they're doing at home um, to make sure that we're having that really good quality of life. And, you know, we don't give the same doses. When we have lymphoma, if you're a person and you get diagnosed with that, we'll give you a, a chemotherapy um, treatment plan to cure you of that disease. Well, we don't do that. We give them lower doses at less frequent and we make adjustments for, you know, whether it's a, a dog or a cat to make sure that they have that good quality of life. And like I said, in the beginning, I want them to be, I want them all to have a, an, a really good quality of life. And that, um, you know, there may be days in between where they may have a low white blood cell count. So maybe they shouldn't be around other dogs, but we do blood work to monitor that, to manage that. If it's ever the point where they're sick, 
um, for more than a day or two. I'll lower the doses or maybe spread out how far, um, you know, if it's a weekly or biweekly treatment, we'll go ahead and we'll do it maybe, you know, every other week or every third week. Um, and I think the biggest thing that owners will notice is that their hair doesn't grow back. Um, as quickly. So they got to have, they have to have their, their legs like shaved for IV catheters. And then, you know, sometimes we'll do um, ultrasounds and so they'll have their belly shaved. And that when it comes back, it's not quite the same um, thickness and, you know, same, you know, kind of um, uh, brightness to the coat and things like that. But they don't care. I always tell the owners, this is an opportunity for you to dress up your pet, um, <laughs> go out and get a jacket and, you know, it's the winter. Um, so those things don't bother them. And, um, you know, really the side effects should be really, really minimal. Um, and um, I think the only thing, and the other thing is that there are some breeds that are more prone <laughs> to having a little bit of a, a patchy coat, like your old English sheepdogs and your Bichons, those are gonna have maybe not the prettiest of coats, but, um, but yeah, they, they really have um, very, you know, about 10 to 15% should have some side effects that are really mild. Um, and the rest of them should have a really good quality of life. That's a really good thing to hear because I think, as you said, Hazel, we all of our, nearly everybody has had experience, unfortunately, of people on chemo and it's all, it can be quite distressing. Um, so I suppose we tend to maybe think when we come to our, when it comes to our pets, I don't want to put them through that, but it's good to hear you explain that it's not the same. Um, you, you don't treat them the same as you do a human. And it, it's uh, you, you very carefully think about the fact that they can't tell you how they're feeling and monitor their symptoms. So I think that's really useful for people to hear because that definitely makes me <laughs> feel more reassured. Like if I had a dog, you know, I'd be definitely wanting to have um, an oncologist's opinion on it cancer case and you know hearing what the owner says like we have like a, a questionnaire that we ask them every time that they um come in for chemotherapy you know how they were doing and things like that and you know they get the um the owners are do a really good job of actually kind of <laughs> it's the same questions every week and they'll be like okay well we had a tough week you know or a tough day this day so that we can make the adjustments but i rely on them to share all of that information and um, I asked them to write down, you know, if it's, you know, so you don't forget. And sometimes you come into, I, I know I do it when I go into the doctor's office, you have like a, a bunch of questions and then you start talking and you forget what the actual original question was. They write everything down, come in and we'll go over all of that before we start the treatment. And once we get the blood work back, we'll have a, we may have another conversation to say, okay, you know, this was what was going on. We're seeing this, it's okay to treat, but maybe we shouldn't because you had a, a couple of days that, you know, maybe something else is going on. You know, we forget, you know, they have cancer, but that's not the only thing that they have. Um, I had a patient come in for chemotherapy um, last week and she had a pile. So we had to postpone her chemotherapy to have a pio. In the last three months, I've had two dogs that came in for vomiting. The owners thought they were because of, you know, chemotherapy side effects. They both had foreign bodies. So they had to have foreign body surgery. So, um, you know, we forget, but these are things like I, I actually, you have the feeling, you kind of know, like it didn't hit on the right day that you would expect to have side effects from chemotherapy. So it doesn't really make sense. Um, and I ran a couple of other tests and, you know, discovered these other things. So. Very good. Yeah. Um, very interesting. It is very interesting. And it's, it's definitely a field that I, 
I should really probably open my mind to a bit more. And I do see um, there's a colleague of mine in, in my own practice that that's very keen on, you know, using chemo drugs and, and, and trying to treat cancers. And, you know, some days I, I come in and I'm like, oh, what's this for? And, and sure, it's probably double dutch to me, really. But it's 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 trying to think about things that I learned in uni and, and trying to apply them. And and I suppose I suppose when I grad, like, you know, the lymph, the, the treatment for lymphoma was kind of the one that they, they really um, hammered home. But I'd say there's so many advancements since even I qualified in 2013. Is there anything that you can kind of, is there anything that's, that's really exciting uh, that you want to tell our listeners about on, you know, on any research that's been published lately or anything, you know, for a particular type of cancer or anything? Um, I think what you actually said, like there's been a lot of de development since you've graduated and you didn't graduate that long ago. Um, and so, you know, you're a fairly new grad and yet- I keep telling myself that anyway. <laughs> right? I keep telling myself I'm young. <laughs> <laughs> I keep saying that to myself and it's been 15 years. So, um, but uh, so yeah, there's, uh, since you graduated, there are two new drugs that have been licensed for pets to treat cancers. And one of them is um, called a drug called Tenovia. Um, that's the brand name. It's Rabacfosidine is the drug name. And it was developed for people, but actually there's a high uh, toxicity with people. And they actually um, managed, and this is what blows my mind, is that the, the people that do research with these chemotherapy drugs are, you know, and develop them. I'm just like, how do you think, come up with these creative ideas or come up with new protocols? And I'm in awe of their intelligence and um, their passion for their research. But Tenovia is an amazing drug and it has a, a much higher response rate for resistant or um, those that have failed CHOP will have, um, it's, the studies say about 75 to 80% response rate. And this is only, this was just starting to be released when I left to come to Dublin. And I've now been able to get a special license and I actually can administer it to patients at UCD. And so it's, a, it's such an exciting thing because it's always something new. And I even tell um, you know, the students, things are gonna change. I don't expect you to know all of these things and um, all of these new drugs that are coming out because uh, if you asked me to deworm a dog, I wouldn't even like, I'd have to go back to the books because you're so focused on your, your specialty. So to just, you know, figure out how to work them up, to stage them, to refer them to an oncologist, and then I'll keep on top of what's new. But, you know, what is new now is going to be like old in, you know, five years. And so there's more drugs. And I know like we're talking about, there's a few drugs every time I go to the Veterinary Cancer Society meeting, we're always talking about like new protocols and, um, you know, new procedures that we potentially can do. And um, that's the thing I just have to constantly, um, you know, just come in and have that conversation so that we can see what else is out there. And a lot of the, the drugs that we use start out in the human oncology field and then get carried over and vice versa. We work together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are a lot of uh, cancers that are similar. We know canine osteosarcoma is very similar to pediatric osteosarcoma. And uh, feline uh, uh, mammary tumors are very similar to triple negative uh, women's breast cancer. And so there's a lot of research going on to compare and to, and these are, are places that we're gonna grow and learn from and come up with new drugs and new treatment options. Wow. Yeah, it's very exciting. 
Mm-hmm. It is a really ex- exciting, you know, I really feel blessed to be an oncologist and I, you know, just to give an opportunity for pets to give them longer lives, to give owners time with their pets for whatever reason, but also because I'm always learning, like, you know, I'm actually, like I, I just mentioned, they, the researchers, they're so intelligent, they know so much, they're, you know, I'm always feel like I'm constantly reading and the more I read, the less I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, and um, UCD, Amy, how did you end up back in UCD? And do you enjoy being in Ireland and, and with the students? And, and yeah, tell us more about that. Um, so I, I loved my experience in Glasgow. I love Scotland. And I would actually, after um, my residency, I would come back like once a year to visit my friends that I studied with. One of my friends still lives um, in the South and um, I would come fly in, see her. Then I would go over to Scotland and um, usually spent a week doing that um, every year. And I used to say all the time that like, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go back in some way. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of looking around and um, I saw, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna apply to UCD. There wasn't even an oncology position listed. And I was like, I'm going to send in my, my resume and RCP. <laughs> and I was like, you know, if they want an oncologist, you know, maybe they'll reach out to me. And actually, I interviewed for the internist uh, position. Worst interview I've ever had. <laughs> it was terrible. But they wanted an oncologist. So um, I, I just, they came over and we decided, let's see how it goes. Let's see if it takes off. And um, they're like, you know, I, um, I saw a few medicine cases because I am boarded in um, the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine with a specialty in oncology. Okay. And within, within months, it, not even, I think within a, a weeks, it was all I was seeing were oncology patients. Okay. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So, and I absolutely, I love teaching um, where um, as a resident and in uh, private practice in Pennsylvania, we always had um, like interns. We always had um, students that would come in on externships. And um, I just, I love teaching. And I, you know, when I applied for the job, my nurse um, at the time, my oncology nurse, she was like, I'm not surprised that you're going to be teaching this. She's like, this has been a passion of yours. Like, I, and I, I didn't see it, but I like, she's like, I've sat back and I've watched you and you have absolutely, this is where you were meant to be. So. Very good. And you did kind of mention it there um, that in, at the last, in the, your last answer, Amy, but where you said, you know, it's everything is moving new. So one of the questions that we had was, did you have, do you have any tips for GP vets when it comes to dealing with cancer cases? So I suppose you did mention, you know, work them up, try and stage them and refer them as possible. But is there anything you'd maybe add to that? Um, absolutely. So I think it's important for um, veterinarians to, I think even when we see it, and I know when I was in general practice, I would see cancer or mass and I would just, it would scare me. How do I approach this? I don't want to do, you know, more harm. I want to make sure that I approach this um, tumor to help the client and, and um, to help the patient the best I can. And I think it's really important to do it step by step um, to kind of, you know, never assume anything is going to be benign to see a tumor. And if an owner is concerned about it, absolutely work it up. You know, if a, a client has concerns, there's probably a reason for, most likely a reason to, for them to be concerned about it. 
And sometimes we can make things worse if we just jump into removing it. So okay. start off with doing an FNA and cytology and sending it off. You may not get an answer, but if it comes, if you may get an answer and be able to approach that tumor in the best way. Um, and if you don't get an answer, then do a punch biopsy or a true cut, or you know, just take a small piece of it so that we know how to go ahead and um, work up that, that tumor. Because sometimes you know, doing narrow margin surgery is okay, but there are some tumors that if you cut into, they actually can double or triple in size if you don't remove all of it. And it can, I've seen the, that happen and you have to be careful. So step-by-step step, um, and you know, it is worthwhile doing blood work and x-rays and ultrasound if you can in practice. We all don't have that ability to do so. So if you only have, um, you know, limited diagnostic tools. Also, if you only have limited funds, that's when you reach out to your an oncologist and say, okay, I'm concerned about this. What are your thoughts? Or what's the most important thing for me to do? And, you know, at UCD, we do advice calls and I am very happy to take them. I would rather someone called and said, hey, you know, I'm a little concerned about this. Can I just remove it? Or, you know, it would be helpful to give this medication and, um, and help them with that so that they make the right approach because it is so overwhelming. And, you know, there's so many different tumor types, how you can't know the approach to every single one. So step-by-step, step, I think is the most important is start off with your FNA and cytology, and then go to um, removing a piece of it so that we can get more information would be my best advice. That's great. Yeah, I, I, um, I identify with that statement of not telling an owner that something is probably benign um, because it happened to me last year. I took off a lump. Luckily now I did do wide margins and, and it was fine in the end, but I, I think I gave her a little bit too much false hope maybe. And then, because it didn't look, I don't know, you know, I, I get flown into small animals sometimes and I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll just take it off. And, and I think it's good for maybe people like me that maybe don't deal with small animals all the time and then and, and do just get the odd lump to remove um, here and there. And I think, I think that's a good lesson to maybe expectations to owners and also maybe ring you guys and say, this thing looks okay, but actually what do you think I should do with it? Or, you know, it was a very, you know, innocent looking, um, but it was actually like a fibrosarcoma um, or something, you know, it wasn't, it was, but it was malignant and, and, you know, luckily I did do the margins wide enough, but, yeah. you know, put them into another surgery or, you know, something like that. If I didn't. Absolutely. You're not alone though. I mean, I've made those yeah. mistakes too. I mean, I've mast cell tumors look really benign a lot of times. And I had my oncology nurse um, and she's actually a specialized oncology nurse now. And she came in and she's an owner whose dog had multiple mast cell tumors is coming in for a recheck. And she's like, oh, it's a new lump, but it feels like a lipoma. And I was like, oh, okay. And like, I looked down, I was like, yeah, you know, you're probably right. And I stuck a needle in it. And as soon as I did, it started bleeding, which is a, that's a sign that it's a mast cell tumor. And I just looked up at her and she was like running out the room <laughs> to go get the pre-medication. Well, now it's not pre-medication to get the um, diphenhydramine to inject him the antihistamine because we both knew at that point it was a mast cell tumor because, and I was like, you know, ever since then, I don't care. I'm like, if they have a history of mast cell tumors and you know it's worth premedicating just in case because I'm not going to get burned. But I was an oncologist when I did that, 
So, I mean, it happens to all of us. Um, and, you know, you want to do what's best for the client and money is often a concern. And so they go, oh, if we just remove it, it doesn't look malignant. Um, but a lot of times there can be something more, you know, aggressive underneath. And um, I saw that uh, also as an intern, um, the surgeon um, actually had FNA to mass and only got fatty cells. And the owner wanted to get the lipoma removed. It was um, troublesome for the dog. It was like underneath the, the shoulder. So it was causing some yeah. issues with walking. And um, he, the owner insisted that we submit it for histopath. And there was a carcinoma inside of, surrounded by fat. So and oh. that was a boarded surgeon who, who did that. Yeah. yeah, they always warn you of that in uni and then you think, yeah. oh, it'll never happen. <laughs> all, the time, all the time. But, you know, it, and it happens to me and it happens to a boarded surgeon. It, it's going to happen to every vet that's out there. Um, we do our best um, to try not to and to try to kind of explain to the owners why we're doing it. In a, in a step-by-step fashion. And um, like I said, it seems like we're, you know, gonna get the results quicker if we jump to that, but we can do more harm than good, so. I think that's really good advice where you said that, you know, do it step-by-step and that you guys do offer advice calls because you're right probably when you say a lot of the time, money is probably a bit of a concern for the owner. So I think it's great that GP vets will be able to say, well, do you know what? If we just not panic, don't jump in, get some advice and then see how we can use the, the, the limited funds maybe that the owner has in the best way possible because if funds weren't ever an issue, I mean, lots of things are possible, but that's <laughs> yeah. normally what you're trying to manage is the, the, the cost. So I think yeah. that's really useful. Um, yeah. so and it's rare that, sorry. Give Amy a buzz when you need her. Yeah. <laughs> you might be sorry you said that, Amy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we played from our vet space followers. <laughs> um, no, I'm absolutely. I think, you know, we're definitely um, happy to do that. And um, I should say that there is a small fee that comes with it, but it, it's worthwhile um, yeah. to do that. And if they come in, they, they get that back. Um, but I think it, it's important because it's such a, an overwhelming thing to hear. But oncology patients usually aren't, it's not an emergency situation. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some tumors when they, you know, for example, if you have a, a hypercalcemia associated with lymphoma or, um, you know, an anal gland tumor, things like that, it, it, that is going to be more of an emergency. But you have time to call me up and have that conversation or to do that FNA and call me up at the same time and wait for those results so that we can have that conversation and come up with the best plan for that pet and that owner. Yeah, yeah I think that's really, really useful. Um, Amy, tell us about how do you find social media? I know you do share some cases on your social media, but especially with oncology, we always ask people this, how they find veterinary translates online and do you find it's a good place are you getting good response or is it a good area for you to highlight your oncology I think it's um more of a highlighting and educating about potential options for owner I don't think it's a great place to say well your pet has this you know, you should do this because we oh, really yeah, need absolutely. to see the patient to really come up with a, a treatment plan and a, a protocol. But I do think it's a good place. Like, you know, as you were saying, like three and a half years ago, no 
nobody, even a lot of the vets didn't realize that there was so much that we could do in Ireland to treat our patients. And um, my goal of, you know, Instagram and, and things like that is to say, hey, this is a patient who, um, you know, was diagnosed with an oral melanoma, um, you know, two and a half years ago and is still going strong. This is possible. We hear that oral melanoma, we know it's an aggressive disease um, and, that, you know, they maybe that's you know on the higher end of survival time but it is possible and things are constantly changing with the development of new drugs so that's where how i use my social media just to educate vets and um and the clients um the clients love seeing their pet being featured on instagram and the students have i've gotten a lot of feedback with the students and new vets in ireland who've emailed about questions about you know how do we do this or what's the best way to do that? Um, but I think it's, you know, it's more about just um, kind of educating what we could potentially do. So overall a positive for learning. I would, I would say it's positive. Yeah, absolutely. So it's only been positive for me. That's good to good. hear. Hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Your, your, your cases are, are, are very, um, yeah, it's, I really enjoy your page and I'm, I'm, oh, I'm hoping you. that you get, a few more followers now maybe from 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 people listening to this podcast as well so um and amy what do you uh, we want you know uh, the idea of this podcast is, is education i suppose as well as finding out more about you and what do you do um in your in your spare time and and just to get away from everything veterinary and you know what what's amy's passions and hobbies outside of uh, oncology um, so I guess uh, my, my biggest passion is travel. Um, I've been, at the first time I came to Europe was when I was about 10 or 11. Um, and I've gone somewhere um, every year since then. I've been to 50 countries so far. Um, and I really, I really want to hit the, you know, I was it at like 113 or 114. I, that's a goal of mine at some point in my lifetime. Um, but obviously that's not something that we can do right now. So, um, and it's, I'm definitely feeling it, but I look forward to someday once we all get vaccinated and hopefully things will calm down to be able to travel again and to explore new cities. But my other two other, and I do a lot of photography when I, um, I travel as well. So I do enjoy that. But right now, because of uh, uh, COVID, I, what I'm doing is baking and I bake Every week I bring something into to work and I always joke, I'm trying to fatten up the, the residents and the interns. So, um, so yeah, so try new recipes. If anybody has any good recipes, please um, uh, share them with me. But cinnamon rolls are my, I can't even make it through the door now. As soon as I walk in, I have some residents behind me going, are those your cinnamon rolls today? So, <laughs> good cinnamon rolls. Wow, that, they yeah. sound delicious. So you're yeah. popular inside new CD, so. If I if, only if I've got food in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> no, and do you think you've inspired any budding um, oncologists in in your students? I think so. I definitely. I hope so. Um, but I have had a lot of students come back to me and like I really I'm I'm surprised. I'm really surprised that you know how well they do and what opportunities or what what options they have and that you don't push chemotherapy on your patients. And if nothing else, I think I've opened up their eyes that this is an option and it may not be an option for you. It's not something you want to do. Um, I lost my own dog to cancer about 12 years ago. I wasn't an oncologist at that point, but I was 
a, a vet. And I made the decision for her that it wasn't the right treatment to go to surgery and chemotherapy. So I totally understand if people don't want to go down that road. And so I'm, I hope that the students see that and that, um, you know, regardless of how you feel about it, it's your job to offer them the opportunity to, to go and, and pursue that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Did I answer your question? I started rambling. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. I kind of went off topic and, and uh, we should go back to the baking. They can be hungry now even. I, I, um, I've just been very busy with spring lately and, and today I was kind of telling myself, Hazel, you need to get your life back. You need to get back on the bike get back walking the dogs and get back baking. So yeah. we can, we can. Uh, share recipes. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so I think I need to need to get some, cause I, I do think sometimes life gets on top of you and, and you forget. Oh, you feel good and you can get consumed by work and, and everything. And I think that's something we try and promote uh, at Vets Face Ireland to, you know, follow your passions and, and do things that make, you know, life a little nicer as well. So. Absolutely. Like it's, we all became veterinarians because we love animals. And we, I think the majority of us really love our, our jobs. And, and especially now, the number of cases, the number of patients who've come in over the last year has increased. I think there's not one vet that I've spoken to that is not insanely busy um, over the past year. And it's just getting busier and busier. And it's great that so many of our pets are getting such good care. But we also have to remember that we have to put ourselves first and take care of our, our mental health. And this is hard. It's a really, really challenging year. Um, but doing things like going for a run and um, going for a walk even and taking your dogs, going outside um, and getting, you know, your exercise in your, your 5K, um, baking, you know, it brings me, you know, I, I joke, I'm, I'm patting it up, but making food and bringing it in and seeing that the smile on the resident's face, like that not only the physically baking and getting out my frustration in the kitchen, but bringing in and knowing that people are happy to see that I bought them a tree. It just, that makes my day a little bit. I start off on a, a positive note and it makes yeah. a day better. So it's lovely. It's really good. Yeah. You want a hey. job in Abbeville? <laughs> <laughs> Amy, tell us about your uh, biggest life lesson so far. So I think the the biggest life lesson is, um, you know, and I said it earlier, like how, you know, um, my old uh, mentor, Dr. Brown said, you know, you got to do this, you got to do this. And I kept saying no. And I, I think that if a door opens, you should walk through it, you know, regardless of how you feel about it, because you don't know what's on the other side. You have ideas, but it's probably going to be totally different than what you expect. And it's worth it. You can always go back. But that door may shut. So take every opportunity. Yeah, that's really good. I actually had written that down earlier when you said it. I was like, that's a nice thing. Someone has opened the door for me and I'd be foolish not to go through it. Yeah, so, it's behind you. They, uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's true when you say you, you think you might know what's at the other side, but it could be totally different and you can always go back. I would have bet all my money in the world and said I would not be an oncologist today. I never thought I would do this. Um, and God, I'm so lucky. I have the best, I have the best life. I have the best job. Really, really lucky. Yeah. It's, you know, and it's, 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 you know, not every, not every vet can say that. And it's, and it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a real privilege. Like I'm, I'm very lucky. I love my job and, um, but it's, it's, 
important to find that maybe that niche that really suits you and it's and sometimes you just need to maybe do a little bit more searching um, but it's out there. Absolutely. And we're so lucky as veterinarians that we have so many different ways that we can go. We can do research. We can be a small animal vet, a large animal vet. You know, you can help with, um, and I'm a little bit more familiar with um, the U.S. version, but like doing like inspection in USDA and licensing. All of these things play a huge role in people's lives, whether it's putting food on our table or taking care of our our pets who are our family members to us. We all like there, if you haven't found the right place for yourself in veterinary medicine, you just, you have to keep searching because it's there. Yeah, totally. That's very agree. wise as well. Very wise. That's what happens when you get old. <laughs> so we're young. No. <laughs> young. Young, young, young. And do you love Ireland? Do you, do you enjoy, you know, do you enjoy the countryside? Do you enjoy the food, the people, you know, how do you find it? I love it. I absolutely I love to think things about it. I mean, how could you not love it? I mean, maybe in the middle of winter when the days are really short, it can be a little tough, but then you have the summers, the long days, the beautiful sun. There is nothing more beautiful than a sunny day in June in Ireland. It is absolutely breathtaking. I love to, I've um, done a lot of traveling. I've seen most of the country um, at this point. I've gone down all the way down to Cork and I've gone all the way up north and gone away for the um, like the weekends here and there. Um, and, you know, and I, the first time I came to Ireland was, it was actually when foot and mouth did, was happening. So oh, that yeah. was, was it like 21 and I forgot how long ago it was. I wasn't even yeah. that school then. Yeah. It was 2000, so I'd say, was it? Or 99. Yeah. 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 Um, so that was the first time I came and then that was a quick visit because I was like, oh, I'm going to, I was actually in Scotland and I, I flew over and I was like, oh, you know, I'm probably never going to make it to Ireland again. Um, so I'm going to take a quick trip. And I did a little, I went to Dublin and um, I went to Belfast as well. And, um, and then the next year I, I came back and spent more time and I'd say, every year like I've just seen like you know and I think having the internet and um, all of that the food is amazing I'm mm-hmm. um, I just yeah I just I can't say enough I really I love the country so much so much yeah, it's good to hear though isn't it it's nice you know because you do I think when obviously Michelle and I have lived here our whole lives and it's it's uh sometimes we forget how nice a country it is and like sometimes you're just like oh will it ever stop raining but yeah. <laughs> yeah past the rain like today now it was beautiful the sun came out after the storm on Tuesday and I was driving around and I was thinking this place like I'm just so lucky to be out and about and, and it's it is and it's good to I really valued nature today I was very kind of I don't know kind of <laughs> philosophical today and I was, I was thinking god isn't this place just you know the amazing yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and like the two weeks like this past um I've been I'm not in Ireland right now but the week before um that I left on the I think it was the 18th and that was the first beautiful day we had had in like two weeks so we had like two weeks of like rain and it was so and then the sun came out and I was like and this is why I'm here because yeah. this is absolutely <laughs> so beautiful but it's not just you know I mean the countryside is beautiful and you can be in the city and you can be in Dublin and I can it's easy for me to travel to Europe um and so that was that's really nice um you can go to the mountains you can go to the beach but the people are wonderful as well and been very welcoming um I think you know every time I 
you know, I think it's pretty obvious I'm not from Ireland. And so oh, where are you from? And start asking questions about you and they want to get to know you. And that's just there's, the fact that people are so welcoming really helps. Um, and like I said, I can't say enough about it. I really can't. I do love yeah. Ireland. I hope I can stay for a very long time. <laughs> We should we should put you on the the, the tourism board <laughs> <laughs> on board Planola, or is it? No, I don't know. Um, what, um, it should probably fall to Ireland, doesn't it? And, is and it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, but it's great to hear. Yeah. Do you have um, a funny funny veterinary moment, Amy, to share with us? <laughs> I really I think so I know you guys had um, mentioned that you know something we may talk about and I really can't I really tried hard to to think about any moments that I had that were um that were funny the only thing I can think of is actually is if you can imagine it and I know this is a podcast so people can't see me but I am not a large animal vet so seeing me out in the fields working with large animal and calving and I actually did calving um I worked in a, far, a dairy farm in Australia for two summers um and just and actually some of my favorite times of of that student um and I just remember being out there in the middle of the night calving and helping and I just you know covered in head to toe and manure and coming inside and just I remember the wife would come in and she's like I can't believe you you're just hilarious to to come in and covered in manure but those are probably the most um light-hearted times that I can think of but I don't really have a, a really funny story unfortunately so You'll have to come out calving cows at me now sometime, Amy. <laughs> we'll, we'll make a funny story. And it'll be, yeah, we'll definitely yeah. get to it. <laughs> I do like, though, like when I was a student um, at Glasgow and I would go out and onto the farm as, you know, you have doing your work experience and um, and the farmers are just looking like, you know, giving you up and down the what is she doing out here? There's no way. And they used to quiz me and I loved it when I would get it right and they would just be like, Oh wow, she actually knows what she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I did for about uh, a month, but it's gone way gone. Yeah. Oh, but I know, it's, and it is funny when you look back. Like I, you know, when you when you're in a, when you are a student and you have to do all the different disciplines, and yeah. you really some of them really just don't interest you. And and I remember going to the zoo, and I had to like I'm very bad at human stuff, and there was like a a lemur um operation like a yeah yeah and I had to stand there in it and all I could see was his hands <laughs> this lemur I don't even know the lemur has five fingers but in my head this lemur had five fingers <laughs> and I just I just said oh god it's a little person it's a little person <laughs> and then I I was gone fainted done. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness yeah I remember taking my equine exam and just being like okay I said to the woman you know you get to know your lecturers really well and I I said look all you have to do is pass me and I'm like you know I just barely pass it's fine I promise you I will never touch a horse again I swear (laughs) it broke the ice at the beginning because you know you're all everybody's so nervous yeah 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 I just started laughing but I was like yeah no there are definitely (laughs) I won't endanger any horses I've I've kept my promise right so i suppose at this stage of the podcast we should do the quick fire round hazel have you been making notes i have yes they're not they're not um i was hoping you'd, you'd mention a few ucd um friends that i could <laughs> <laughs> 
So Amy, who would you sit with in the staff room? <laughs> would it be Rory Brannock or? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. We can I'm leave gonna... out the president question and just do the, the quick fire regular ones. And uh, we might do, we might do a, a, an American themed one. Maybe. Oh, this is actually making me nervous now. <laughs> no, 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 fine. Um, so Scottish accents or Irish accents, Amy? <laughs> I think Irish. Good answer. Because <laughs> you have to remember, I mean, I was, did live in Scotland for about six years. I know. So it's kind of got a little piece, like it's a little bit, like feels like home to me. But yeah, I'm still going to go with, regardless of where I am, Irish. Um, well, this is, a, this is um, Michigan State or Penn State? Oh, Michigan State. Michigan State. Right. Absolutely. No question. <laughs> um, cop pro chop protocol or tenovia uh chop chop okay um rory so if you were to um vote in the next president of the world we'll say <laughs> <laughs> would it be uh president biden or rory rannock <laughs> Biden all the way. Sorry, <laughs> Rory. Oh, that was good. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Amy, for um coming on the podcast. It's been very, very informative. I have to say, I've learned loads, and I thought it was so interesting. Oh, good. I'm glad. I hope so. I hope I shared a little bit of that knowledge that I've I've got. So it's been a lot of fun talking to you guys. Good. And it was a good mix of, of, of education and a little bit of fun as well. And I think that's what the podcast is meant to be. And, yeah. you know, I think it's good to get people that have come from overseas and now are working in Ireland in such, you know, prestigious jobs and, you know, teaching our next generation of vets as well, which is amazing. Yeah. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. And check out Amy's page on Covet. Give her a follow. And um, O-N-C-O underscore vet and we're a follow and um, you'll be teaching us all about the new and upcoming uh, research and, you know, just different options for our pets. So it's great. Yeah. Thanks so much, Amy. Thanks, Thank Amy. You. Talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>Thank you for listening to the Vet Space Ireland podcast. To find out more, go to vetspaceireland.ie and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on Apple iTunes. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and also Twitter and give us a like and tag us uh, while you're listening to the podcast. <laughs>